0: discourse 4 to 6 of cases of conscience resolved by john owen this librivox recording is in the public domain question how may we recover from a decay of the principle of grace answer we have been speaking concerning the decay of the principle of grace and i will now offer you some few thoughts that may be applied unto our recovery from the decay of this principle in doing which i shall tell you no more than i think i have found myself if we would recover spiritual life we must come as near as we can unto and abide as much as we are able to at the wellhead of life christ is the spring of our spiritual life he is every way our life it is in a derivation of life from christ and in conformity to him that we must look for our spiritual life before i mention how we should approach unto and lie at this wellhead of life let me observe to you this one thing that when there is a general contagious disease the plague or the like every man will look to his health and safety with reference to other occasions but will be most careful in regard to the general contagion. Now, if forsaking this spring of life be the plague of the age, and the plague of the place where we live, and the plague of Christians, we ought to be very careful, lest this general contagion should reach us more or less, one way or other. It is evident to me, who have some advantage to consider things, as much as ordinary men, that the apostasy, the cursed apostasy that spreads itself over this nation and whose fruits are in all ungodliness and uncleanness, consists in an apostasy from and forsaking the person of Christ. Some write of how little use the person of Christ is in religion, none but to declare the doctrine of the gospel to us. Consider the preaching and talk of men. You have much preaching and discourse about virtue and vice, so it was among the philosophers of old, but Jesus Christ is laid aside, quite as a thing forgotten, as if he was of no use, no consideration in religion, as if men knew not at all how to make any use of him, as to living to God. This being the general plague, as is evident, of the apostasy of the day wherein we live, If we are wise we shall consider very carefully whether we ourselves are not influenced more or less with it as where there is a general temptation it doth more or less try all men the best of believers and prevail more or less upon their spirits i am afraid we have not some of us that love for christ that delight in him nor do make that constant abode with him as we have done we have very much lost out of our faith and our affections him who is the life and centre, the glory and the power of all spiritual life, and of all we have to do with God, Jesus Christ himself. I brought it in only to let us know that if we would revive our spiritual life, and believe it, if any of us are not concerned in our spiritual decays, these are sapless things and will be heard with as much weariness as spoken. We are to abide more at the wellhead of life, It is the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abide in me, unless ye abide in me, you can bring forth no fruit, and every such branch shall be so and so purged. But you will say, how shall we do so? How shall we abide more than we have done at this wellhead of life? 1. We are to abide at the wellhead of life by a frequency of the acts of faith upon the person of Christ faith is that grace not only whereby we are implanted into christ but whereby we also abide in him if so methinks the frequent actings of faith upon the person of christ are a drawing near to the wellhead of life And though we are to put forth the vigor, the earnestness, the watchfulness of our hearts unto obedience, yet a ceasing to continue in the acting of faith upon the person of Christ, even under the vigor of our own endeavors by those general outward desires of walking with God, and living to Him, will weaken us, and we shall find ourselves losers by it. Do you all understand me? I am not teaching the wise, and more knowing of the flock. I would speak unto the meanest i say suppose we should resolve with great earnestness diligence watchfulness to abide in duties in inward duties to watch over our hearts which is required of us yet if in our so doing we are taken off thereby from frequent actings of faith upon christ as the spring of our life we shall decay under all our endeavours watchfulness and multiplication of duties wherefore my brethren let me give you this advice That you would night and day upon your beds, in your ways, upon all occasions, have the exercise of faith upon the person of Christ, faith working by a view of him as represented in the gospel, by trust in him, and by invocation of him, that he may be continually nigh unto you. And you cannot have him nigh unto you unless you make yourselves by these actings of faith through his grace continually nigh unto him, so you will abide at the wellhead." I could show you those excellent advantages that we should have by continually being near to Christ, who is the overflowing spring of grace, and from whence it will issue out to us, if we abide with him, be nigh to him, and keep up to this wellhead. 2. Abide with him in love. O the warm affections for Christ, which some of you can witness concerning yourselves, that your hearts have been filled with all towards Christ, when you have been under his call to believe on him. And it is a marvellous way of abiding with Christ, to abide with him by love, which is called cleaving to God and Christ. It is the affection of adhesion, and gives a sense of union. How then shall we get our hearts to abide with Christ by love? This is a subject that, if I were to preach upon, how many things would presently offer themselves to us, from the excellency of his person, from the excellency of his love, from our necessity of him, the advantages and benefits we have by him, and his kindness towards us. All these things, and many more, would quickly present themselves unto us. But I will name but one thing, and I name it the rather because I heard it mentioned in prayer since I came in. Labor to have your hearts filled with a love to Jesus Christ, as there is in him made a representation of all divine excellencies. This was God's glorious design. It is not to be separated from his design of glorifying himself in the work of redemption, for a great part of God's glorious design in the incarnation of Christ was in him to represent himself unto us, who is the image of the invisible God, the express image of his person. Now, if you do but consider Christ, as God is gloriously represented unto you in him, you will find him the most proper object for divine love, for that love which is wrought in your hearts by the Holy Ghost, for that love that hath sweetness complacency satisfaction in it then let us remember that we exercise our minds to consider christ as all the lovely properties of the divine nature and counsels of his will as to love and grace are manifested by christ if we would abide at the wellhead of life we must abide in these things And let love be excited to Christ under this especial consideration, as he who represents the supreme object of your love, God himself, in all the glorious properties of his nature. 3. Add meditation hereunto. Study Christ more, and all things of Christ. Delight more in the hearing and preaching of Christ. He is our best friend. Let not the difficulties of the mystery of his person and grace deter you there are wonderful things of the counsels of heaven and of the glory of the holy god in the person of christ as the head of the church if you would be found inquiring into them an unsearchable treasure of divine wisdom grace and love are laid up in christ therefore meditate upon them more let me assure you this will prove the best expedient for the recovery of our spiritual life and i will abide by this doctrine to eternity that without it We shall never recover spiritual life to the glory of God in Christ. 4. And then, brethren, seeing we have in the next place felt decays in the midst of the performance of multiplied duties, labor to bring spirituality into your duties. What is that, you will say, and wherein doth it consist? It is the due exercise of every grace that is required to the discharge of that duty. Let every such grace be in its due exercise, and that is to be spiritual in duty. As, for instance, would a man be spiritual in all his prayers? Let him then consider what grace and what exercise of grace is required to this duty, a due fear and reverence of the name of God, faith, love and delight in him, an humble sense of his own wants, earnest desires of supply, dependence upon God for guidance and the like. We all know that these are the graces required to the discharge of this duty of praying by the Holy Ghost and let these graces be in a due exercise, and then you are spiritual in this duty. Is the duty charity, giving a supply to the poor? There is to be a ready mind, a compassionateness of heart, and obedience unto the command of Christ in that particular. These are the graces required to the discharge of that duty, and to watch against the contrary vices, so that if we would bring spirituality into duty, it is to exercise the graces that are required by the rule to the performance of that duty. I shall only, farther give you this one caution. Have a care that your head in notion and your tongue in talk do not too fast empty your hearts of truth. We are apt to lay it up in our heads by notions and bring it forth in talk and not let it be in our hearts, and this weakens spiritual life greatly. We hear the word preached, and it is of great concernment what account we shall give of the word that hath been preached unto you for we that preach must give an account of our preaching and so must you of what you hear and many a good word is spoken truly and yet we see but little fruit of it and the reason of this is that some when they hear it take no farther regard of it but let it slip as the apostle speaks hebrews two one and if we complain of the treacherousness of our memories it is the most harmless way of the slipping out of the word It is not the treachery of our memories, but of our hearts and affections that makes the heart like a broken vessel, that makes all the rents in it where the water runs out, as the comparison is. The word slips out by putting your affections into carnal exercise, and it quickly finds its way to depart from the heart that gives it no better entertainment. We talk away a sermon and the sense of it, which robs us both of the sermon and the fruit of it. A man hears a good word of truth, and instead of taking the power of it into his heart, he takes the notion of it into his mind, and is satisfied therewith, but this is not the way to thrive. God grant that we may never preach to you anything, but what we may labor to have an experience of the power of it in our own hearts, and to profit ourselves by the word wherewith we design to profit others. And I pray, God, grant that you also may have some profit by the word dispensed to you, that it slip not out through carnal affections, and be not drawn out through notions and talks, with a regardlessness to treasure it up in your hearts. These things we are diligently to attend unto, if we would recover our spiritual losses that we are complaining of, and that not without just cause. Question. It was queried by some how we may make our application unto Christ, not in general, but under what notion and apprehension of the person of Christ. Answer. Because some seem to apprehend there might be danger in terminating our worship upon the nature of Christ as a creature, I shall give you my thoughts and directions in it. And, first, you must observe we are to have no conceptions in our acting of any duty towards Christ or about him, but with respect unto his person, as he is God and man in one person. It is not lawful for us to have any apprehensions of Christ, to make any application to him as man only. Nor is it lawful for us to have any apprehensions of him as God only. But all our apprehensions of Christ and all our addresses unto him must be as God and man in one person." So he is, and so he will be, to all eternity. The union is inseparable and indissoluble. And for any man to make his application unto Christ, either as God or as man, is to set up a false Christ. Christ is God and man in one person and no other. So in all our actings of faith upon him, and application unto him, we ought to consider him as he was the seed of David and as God over all blessed forever, in one person. This makes the great idolatry among the papists. In the image of Christ they represent the human nature of Christ separated from his deity, for they can make no representation of one, that is God and man, in one person. Hereby they become guilty of double idolatry, referring the mind unto one that is a man and no more, and doing it by means of an image. Secondly, the person of Christ is the immediate and proper object of all divine worship. The worship of Christ is commanded in the first commandment. By worship I intend faith, love, trust, subjection of soul, invocation on the name of Christ, every act of the soul and mind whereby we ascribe infinite divine excellencies unto God, which is the worship of the mind. See John 5.23 It is the will of God that all men should honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. How do we honour the Father? By divine faith, trust, love and worship, making Him our end and our reward. So the Son is to be honoured. And as to the divine person of the Son of God, being of the same nature, essence and substance with the Father, there is no dispute of that among them by whom His deity is acknowledged. Thirdly, the divine person of the Son of God lost nothing of his glory and honor that was due unto him by the assumption of our human nature. Though thereby he became the Son of Man, as well as the Son of God, a lamb for sacrifice, yet he is still in his whole and entire person the object of all that worship I spake of before, and the whole church of God agree together in giving that worship unto him. Revelation 5, verses 8, nine, eleven to 13 and when he had taken the book the four beasts and and four-and-twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours which are the prayers of saints and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto god by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and i beheld and i heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Jesus Christ is here distinguished from the Father. There is He that sitteth upon the throne and the Lamb, and He is considered as incarnate, as a Lamb slain. And yet there is all the glory, honour, praise and worship that is given to Him that sitteth upon the throne, the Father, given to Jesus Christ, God and man, the Lamb slain, who hath redeemed us with His blood. Fourthly, this person of Christ, God-man, must not be so much as severed by any conception of the mind. For distinction, as God and man, he may be considered two ways, either absolutely in himself or in the discharge of his mediatory office, and this double consideration produceth a double kind of worship to the person of Christ. 1. Consider Christ absolutely in his own person as the Son of God incarnate, and so he is the immediate and ultimate object of our faith, prayer and invocation so that a man may lawfully under the guidance and conduct of the spirit of god direct his prayer immediately to the person of christ you have the example of stephen in his last prayer lord jesus saith he receive my spirit these were the words of our lord jesus christ when he died father into thy hands i commit my spirit and stephen when he died committed his spirit into the hands of jesus christ Lord Jesus, for that is the name of the Son of God incarnate, he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save you from your sins. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. So that a person may make an immediate address in his prayers and supplications unto the person of Christ as God and man. I look upon it as the highest act of faith that a believer is called unto in this world, to resign a departing soul into his hands, letting go all present things and future hopes, to resign, I say, a departing soul quietly and peaceably into the hands of Christ. Now this Stephen did with respect unto Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he left himself by faith. So we may apply ourselves unto him upon any other account, in the acting of faith upon any other occasion. Two, consider Christ in the discharge of his mediatory office, and under that formal consideration as discharging his mediatory office, he is not the ultimate object of our faith and invocation, but we call upon God, even the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. We through Christ have believed in God, saith Peter in one of his epistles. And it implies a contradiction to have it otherwise, for the calling him mediator showeth he is a means between God and us. And so it is contradictory to say our faith is terminated in his mediatory office. This he calls asking the Father in his name. You shall ask the Father in my name. That is, expressly plead the intervention of the mediation of Christ. And so the Apostle tells us in that grand rubric and directory of church worship, Ephesians 2.18 by whom we have access, by one Spirit, unto the Father. The Father is proposed as the ultimate object of access in our worship, and the Spirit is the effecting cause, enabling us unto this worship, and the Son is the means whereby we approach unto God. All that I shall add hereunto is this, seeing there is in Scripture a double worship of Christ, that is immediate, for his person is considered absolutely, and as mediator between God and man, which of these ought we principally to apply ourselves unto? I answer plainly. 1. Our direction for solemn worship in the church generally respects Christ as mediator in Scripture. The general worship that is to be performed unto God in the assemblies of the saints doth look upon Christ as executing his mediatory office, and so our address is unto the throne of grace by him. By him we enter into the holy place, through him and by him unto God. I bow my knees unto God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.12 God, considered as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the proper, ultimate object of the solemn worship of the Church. 2. In treating and dealing about our own souls under the conduct of the Spirit of God, it is lawful and expedient for us in our prayers and supplications to make addresses to the person of Christ, as Stephen did. Question. How may we make our addresses to Christ for the exercise of grace, that is, that we may have grace strengthened and be ready for all exercise, or how may we make application to Christ that we may receive grace from him to recover from decays? Answer. I think the direction given by our Saviour himself is so plain and doth so fall in with our experience that we need not look much farther saith he, unless ye abide in me ye cannot bear fruit. The business we aim at is fruit-bearing, which consists as much in the internal vigorous actings of grace as in the performance of outward duties, to be faithful in our minds and souls, as well as in our lives. The way for that, saith our Saviour, is abide in me, and unless we do so, he tells us plainly, do we whatever we will else, we cannot bring forth fruit so that the whole of our fruitfulness depends upon our abiding in Christ, there cannot then be much more said unto this business but to inquire a little what it is to abide in Christ. Certainly it is not a mere not going off from Christ, as we say, a man abides when he doth not go away. For I hope that under all the decays we have complained of, and want of fruitfulness, yet we have not left Christ and gone away from him. We have so far abode in him as the branch abideth in the root, from whence it hath its communication and supplies. Therefore there is something in particular included in this abiding in Christ, dwelling in Christ and Christ dwelling in us. And there seems to be this in it, that to abide in Christ is to be always nigh unto Christ, in the spiritual company of Christ and in communication with Christ. It doth not lie in a naked, essential act of believing, Whereby we are implanted into Christ and will not go from Him. But there is something of an especial spiritual activity of soul in this abiding in Christ. It is abiding with Him and in His presence. And as this abiding with Christ must be by some acts of our souls, let us consider what acts those are which may give a little farther light into this matter. And first, it must be certainly by some act of our minds. Secondly, by some act of our wills. Thirdly, by some act of our affections. And thus we abide with Christ, which is the way, certainly, to bring forth fruit. First, there is an abiding with Christ in our minds. Now this to me is in contemplation and thoughts of him night and day. I sought him on my bed in the night, saith the spouse, to consider very much the person of Christ, to contemplate upon him as vested with his glorious office, and as entrusted and designed by the Father to this work. We all, saith the Apostle, with open face, beholding the glory of God, as in a glass, are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. My brethren, that which you and I are aiming at is to be changed into the same image, that is, into the image and likeness of the glory of God in Christ." I dare boldly say that by those of us who have reason to have daily apprehensions of our going out of the world, and leave this state of things, that we have no greater desire, nor is there anything more frequent in our minds than this, that we may be more and more changed into that image before we go out of this world. For we are looking after perfection in likeness to Christ. Therefore aged Christians especially will bear witness that there is nothing now we long for more than to be more and more changed into the image and likeness of christ how shall we get to this why saith he the way is by looking steadily upon christ as a man looks with an optic glass to an object at a great distance we behold him saith he by looking steadily upon christ himself and the glory of god in him now there is a wonderful large object for us to behold for when you look upon the glory of god in christ You have what you please of Christ for the object of your eye and view, the person of Christ, the office of Christ, the merit of Christ, the example of Christ, the death of Christ, and what you will. So you will be much intent in your thoughts and minds, much in immediate contemplation about Christ. I do not know how you find it, brethren, but it is the advice I would give you who are aged Christians and not likely to continue long in this world to exercise yourselves in immediate contemplations upon Christ. All the teachings you have had from ministers, the principal end of them, have been to enable you to this, and really, if I know anything, we shall find them accompanied with a sweet transforming power, beyond what we have had experience of in other ways and duties. We shall be changed into the same likeness well then we abide with christ in the acts of our mind by immediate thoughtfulness and contemplation upon christ in the night upon our beds and in our walkings and by the wayside and in times we set apart for meditation we are greatly to labor after an intuitive view of christ that is a direct view in the contemplation of christ Secondly, if you will abide with Christ, there must be an acting of your will in it also, and that is in great diligence and carefulness about that obedience which Christ doth require in all the instances of it. This is a great way of abiding with Christ, when we labor to have our wills in a readiness unto all the instances of obedience that Christ requireth at our hands. Let that be the question, whether it be the will of God that we should do thus or not and if it be so pray let us be ready to show we do abide in christ by yielding cheerful and willing obedience to him in this instance and duty which he calleth us unto and so in all other things i would have every one of us think often of this matter What it is Christ requires of me personally, in a way of duty and obedience, and I would have us labour to have in great readiness all things which Christ requires of us, and especially, brethren, I would have this in a readiness that Christ requires of me to walk very circumspectly and carefully to keep myself from spots and pollution and defilements by converse in the world. This Christ requires at all times, in all instances, and upon all occasions." What have we been preaching? What have former teachers been instructing us in? All that you are taught is that you should come to the knowledge of all instances of duty and the way of them which Christ requires at your hands. And if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. This is your fruit-bearing, a direct contemplation upon Christ, wherein I would beg that both you and my own soul would be found more to abound while we are in this world and you will find Christ in the discharge of this duty, will make very near approaches and frequent visits to your hearts, more in the discharge of this duty than of any other, and to have our hearts in a readiness to comply with every instance of obedience Christ requires at our hands. Thirdly, there is an abiding with Christ in point of affection. There may be love and delight in all these things. If there be not, very spiritual contemplations will be a bar. There is no duty that is required of any man in this world so spiritual, so heavenly, so evangelical, but through want of love and delight, a man may be slothful in performing of it. I may tie myself to do so this hour or that hour, and have no benefit to my own soul, nor give any glory unto God, if there be not love and delight in it. They will sweeten the duty and refresh the heart of God and man, Christ and us. So labor, brethren, and pray greatly for it, that you may abide with Christ with delight, that you may find a sweetness and refreshment in it, and that every season of retiring unto Christ may bring a kind of spiritual joy and gladness to your hearts. Now you have a great opportunity, having shaken off the occasions of life and other concernments, to dwell with Christ. Now it is a good time. End of Discourse 4 to 6